This show is for the sales leader who knows they have a pivotal role in driving outstanding sales results. Getting hired or promoted to manage a sales team is a big accomplishment, but you know you have to work hard to become a great sales leader. You are listening to the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. Here's your host, coach, and advisor to elite sales leaders from around the world, Matt McDarby. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedy of Sales podcast. I'm Matt McDarby, veteran seller, leader, coach and advisor to elite sales leaders all over the world. I'm really excited to have you join and listen to today's episode. This is one of our interview episodes, and I'd like to introduce you to my very special guest right now. Well, our next guest started out in sales for a new home builder. Uh, Then she moved into a sales and marketing support role at Aon, then sold and eventually led. She went from AE to market director to associate director of sales at WeddingWire. And now Michelle is a regional vice president of sales at Toast. Please welcome the very talented and capable University of Delaware alumnus. Michelle Carney. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Wow. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Great intro. Thank you. Thank you. Well, big experience there. (laughs) Uh, Going back to like Aeon days and home builder days. That's right. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Your career in a nutshell, right? In 45 seconds. So, yeah. um, Yeah. And I hope everybody heard UD alum, right? So fellow fighting blue. Yeah. So Michelle, we're just going to dive right in because I'd love to talk with you about your experiences as a sales leader. And so let me just ask you a first question. What is the most important lesson that you've learned so far about leading a sales team? Yeah, yeah, good question. So I think I'll answer that in two different ways. One of which is being okay with like leaning into your strengths Mm -hmm. and being okay with improving your weaknesses over time. When I joined Toast, you just gave a great intro of my experience, right? I had no credit card processing background at all, none. No financial institution was on there. I sold homes before, worked in restaurants before, but the bulk of what Toast does is we are the credit card processor for restaurants, right? So came into this role 2019. I was like, I am going to be like the best manager that can lead a team through any credit card processing objection. It's like a whole industry in itself, right? Sure. So I like studied at night, studied in the morning, tried to understand what the processing world was all about. And I got into my one-on-one with my uh, manager, probably four weeks in at the job at this point. And he's like, what are you working on? What projects do you have? And I was like, well, I'm going to be, I'm I'm learning credit card processing. Like I'm studying this, I'm doing that. And he was like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. Why did I hire you? And I was like, I don't know. Why did you hire me? Right. Um, And he was like, I didn't hire you because you know about credit card processing. He was like, I hired you because you can build a culture. You can lead a scaling sales team. He was like, it has nothing to do with credit card processing. Lean into your strengths. He was like, we have people that help us improve our weaknesses, right? And get better. But you don't need to be like the end all be all of like all solutions for credit card processing. And that was like something that I still take to this day, right? I still don't know credit card processing, probably as I should as an RVP now, but I have my team that I lean on when I do have questions about it, who are better at that aspect of sure. the job. And I'm good with that. Yeah. So yeah, so I think like that's one answer. Another answer is knowing when to be a sales manager or a business leader. That's something hey. that 
I still struggle with today. And it's taken me probably two, three years to really separate the two. And sales management is very much GSD, like get-ish done, Mm -hmm. right? Managerial style, putting out the fires. When a business leader is very like chess over checkers and it's visionary and looking 60, 90 days out, you're never going to have all the answers. And I need to be better about being okay without having the answers and taking my time with learning how to lead in a business world versus getting it done and being reactive towards something that happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way in just a few minutes, you've sort of described the journey that a lot of us start and, and remain on throughout our sales leadership career, where it's like, I don't have to, you, you start with just the basics, right? I'm here to learn about my team and develop them. The rest is details I'll pick up over time, but that's really the core focus. You said something about your uh, the person who hired you, and he said, play to your strengths. What have you concluded? Like, what are some of those? Like, what are the top few strengths that you play to now as a sales yeah. leader, now that you've been on the job for a while? Like, well, what are they? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, like a right way of putting this, maybe like a professional way of putting this, but I'm good at like making connections and like being the glue to a lot of different departments. When you're leading a sales team, it's not just that you're looking down. Sure. Sales team, sales org, managers, sales reps. You really need to look all around. It's a 360 view. You need to look at your colleagues and your mentors and other departments that influence your success as a sales leader and influence your sales reps numbers. So mm-hmm. playing into relationships and being the glue behind them is really important. And then another thing that I think I've gotten better at, I'm not a perfectionist at it, but I have gotten better at slowing down to speed up, right? Really um, taking your time again with cultivating what you need out of a team. And it's not going to come with a cool incentive or, I don't know, some sort of promotion that you create. It comes with creating and cultivating relationships. And that that comes from the core values of the company of the leadership team, uh-huh. and then of course, ruin yourself. Yeah. So a lot of what you're saying, especially when you're talking about making connections, acting as the glue, some people call that managing across, right? That's sure. right. Uh, building strong relationships across the organization. Because sometimes you have to advocate for your people. Sometimes you have to advocate for your clients. Sometimes you just have to be helpful to other functions, yeah. right? To help them achieve what they want to achieve. That sounds to me more like if we had to I'm picturing like a T chart, right? We've got the tasks of a sales manager versus the tasks of a business leader, which you described as being more sort of visionary and strategic. I would put that mat- making connections and managing relationships internally on the on the business leader column. Would, would you? Yeah. Is that where you'd put that? Oh, yeah. I agree entirely. I think, I don't know, I, obviously this is recency bias, but like Toast, we have a really great way of operating under under one team, which is like one of our hashtags or core values. We're all operating toward one goal. We all know the mission, the vision of the company, and we have one goal. And it's something that I see out of the OKRs that other departments have, and they match what our OKRs are. And that's hard to do. Yeah. An engineer, how do you line up an engineer's goals with a sales reps goals. Yeah. It's very hard to do, but Toast has done a really job at that. Yeah. What's required, I think, is a leader or leaders at the top of the chain, right? From the very first person who sets objectives and key results, they're thinking about that. Like, what's the connection between all the various functions? It's not just a sales number. It's some big strategic business outcome. 
So I think for people yeah. listening, they're starting to pick up on what does it mean when Michelle says knowing when to be a business leader versus a sales manager, there are the tactical things you have to do every day to make sure the team is doing what it's supposed to do, meeting expectations. But a big, a big part of meeting expectations is knowing what they are and especially the most important strategic, the what, right? What are we trying to achieve? So I think that's, that's maybe the thing for people to pick up here. I think so. I'm a big, you'll hear a lot of analogies and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't work. But like, think of it this way, like when there's a body on the table at the hospital, right? And you're like a surgeon, okay? And I've never worked in the medical world either. So learning a lot about what I haven't done, but there's this body and it's a big open wound. Like we have to know whether we just quickly like Band-Aid approach it, throw a Band-Aid on it, all will be okay, we move on. Or do you have to bring in different experts from different fields in the medical world? We all assess, analyze, well, do we need to do an operation today, next week? Who else do we need to bring in? And that's that slow down to speed up and using different departments yeah. to make a decision. Yeah, for sure. I think about my own experience on my best days. And by the way, slow down to speed up was an old Huthwaitism. That was the Neil Rackham spin song like, where, where I worked for many years. And, uh, and we would say that all the time. But the key is, like, what are we slowing down to do? In your analogy, which is a good one, because it's a it's a classic example of diagnosis. We're slowing it down. We got to move fast and repair the situation here, right? Get this get this person or get this organization well. But we've got to slow down enough to diagnose effectively, so then we can move fast, right? Yeah. So yeah, cool, great. Well, it's a great lesson. All right, talk to me about. I can see your enthusiasm for the role and and how you're describing your role, and I love it. What do you love most about leading salespeople specifically? Yeah, I love how you teed it up saying your enthusiasm for the role. And I'm driven mostly by impact and developing others. I'd be lying if I was to say to you, I'm fully driven by compensation and by money, right? I think money is necessary. Sure. The result of doing something that you love and doing it really well, similar to like fitness and mm -hmm. finding your passion for what makes you feel good. You simply get some sweet results out of it mentally and physically by doing something that you actually love. And prior to sales, when I just kind of like stumbled into sales, I wanted to be a teacher and a fitness coach. Okay. In fact, right before Toast, I left Wedding Wire and I had this six month kind of journey of what do I want to do next? And I was at the ending final stages of opening up my own franchise for a cycle studio. Huh. That's what I like really had a passion of doing. And yeah. there were some sniffs of COVID happening. So I figured that shouldn't be the best time yeah, to do yeah. that. Good right? call. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Now it's a great time, I think. But sure. so I think I'm able to incorporate the skills of what I think a teacher has, which is literally educating, teaching, enablement of a classroom, and then also fitness instructor, which is motivating and enthusiastic to get results that you need, both mentally and physically. I think I'm able to find those skills, continue to develop them into my sales leadership role. And that's what makes me excited to lead salespeople. It's watching my team succeed, again, financially, mentally, and developing the skills that they want in order to get to the next step of their career, whether that's a promotion or a different department or to find another job in another company. Mm -hmm. I like to roll up my sleeves and sort of get into the trenches with them and help them get there yeah. wherever that is. You know, that's very similar. I've heard a very similar theme or an answer from other high-performing sales leaders I've interviewed. In fact, for people listening, you've heard, I don't know, four or five leaders over the last few months on the show 
call it out specifically that, look, the number one thing that I love about this is seeing people grow. It's making an impact on their careers and on their family lives, seeing them develop. These different words, but we're saying the same thing. That's the same for me too. I've interviewed a lot of people for sales, sales and sales management roles. And it's funny, we get the, if I ask the question, what motivates you? And somebody says money, I'm like, ooh, that, that wasn't actually, I don't believe you, right? I don't yeah. actually believe that that's it. Or if it is, the odds are you're probably not going to be, you may not have the sort of DNA to really be a great leader. You may be a great individual contributor, but that's about it because you're so motivated by your own rewards. That you, you're not you're not really motivated by the thing that we actually get in this role, which is seeing other that's people right. grow, right? That's it. That's it. In interviews, if I ask an individual contributor what motivates them, I hope to hear money, right? Because they have bonus to hit and money to sure. bonus to say. I'll always ask what's underneath of that. What are you like getting money mm-hmm. to use towards? Not just yeah. piling it up bank to do nothing with. Yeah, that's so right. So I think it's all out. I'm going to sock it away in my mattress, never to give it to anyone. Right? That would not be right. a good answer for those listening. Don't, if you go to interview with Michelle. <laughs> Driving great sales results is hard. Doing it consistently is even harder. There are so many obstacles that can prevent you from becoming the most effective sales leader you can be. Find practical advice you can apply right away by picking up your copy of Matt's book, The Divine Comedy of Sales, at www.divinecomedyofsales.com. All right, so... Let's talk about the flip side. So we were talking about what you love. What have you found to be the most challenging part of lead of leading yeah. people? What have you done about? Yeah, yeah. Similar answer, honestly. It's finding out how to motivate others that have different motivations uh, from mine. So I have always naturally operated with speed over perfection. Okay, um, even in sports during high school or college, U of D. Another shout out for <laughs> University of Delaware, right? I've always put sprinting over running a marathon. That makes you more competitive in my mind. I don't know why. And that's not the truth. They're both equally as good and competitive, uh-huh. but I'd rather sprint towards something than take my time and set a good pace. Sure. So learning how to lead through that has been challenging. One of the core, we talked a little bit about core values. One of the core values of Toast is navigating ambiguity and complexity. Mm. As this like leading restaurant tech innovator for point of sales, we have to be able to make moves in the industry that might disrupt our own processes or the industry's processes or products. This is where I sort of thrive because I enjoy change, complexity, that scared moment of a change. I thrive. That's when I get like a high. They call it a runner's high sometimes. Yeah. And Others become paralyzed and those others might be more of that like perfectionist side and strategy, right? Sure. So just last week, we had um, just a crazy week of change at Toast. It always happens. But last week um, specifically was, and I got that runner's high. I was pumped. I was excited. I was motivated. I was making phone calls and slacking and emails were going out, right? And there was some response to that of, I need time to process this. And I was down, Michelle. I had to tell myself to slow down. Sure. I'm hopping on the bandwagon. You know, the nine steps of, I don't want to call it like death, but when you go through something Grace. tragic, grief. Yeah. grief, thank you. Thank you. I kind of speed through, like I just need 16 minutes, speed through it. Some people need 60 days and that's okay. But I think that's been the most challenging part is learning how to continue to move business forward and motivate 
when I need to also remind myself the way that you operate is not the way that this manager also operates and this rep operates and my boss operates differently. So navigating through that, I've just put myself in their shoes, look at their perception of of the issue or change or whatever it might be. And again, just slowing down is most challenging part of the sales process. Yeah. (laughs) And for those listening, the reason it's challenging is we said, I don't know, 10 minutes ago, slow down to speed up sprints, right? It's so it's like, it's the constant balance between the two. Yeah. I think about where I've had conflict in the past with my leaders, like a CEO who won't be named. There was friction over, like, it was always go, 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 go. You got to take action. I'm like, hang on a second. I am taking action. I'm moving fast to diagnose. I'm having conversations. I'm understanding why people aren't doing what we want them to do. I'm understanding what feedback we're getting from customers. That's what I'm doing. So I'm sprinting, but I'm sprinting or moving as fast as I can at the important stuff. So it's yeah. how do you kind of strike that balance between slowing down, being a, an effective diagnostician or diagnoser of the situation, but moving fast to do yeah. it. And that's that's what great sales leadership looks like. That's what I'm hearing you describe here. And Matt, I think what you're explaining is because of trust built within the team. That CEO, yourself, or my boss, they have to have trust in their sales leaders and their management in order to know that you are going as fast as you can by diagnosing fast. Maybe you don't see results out of the diagnosis. Yeah, right. But you have to do that in order to get the results that the company needs. Yeah. So I think it's a really good call out. Yeah. And a great diagnosis on your part, because in this particular situation, the person I'm referencing at enormous trust issues, couldn't let go of anything, couldn't, right? So there you go. R- rather than vent. But that's, but we deal with that, right? Yeah. All right. Wonderful. Okay. That's really, really helpful analysis on your part for people listening. I think they'd be like, wow, okay. That's a really clear, there's a balance to strike here between moving fast and slowing down to be effective. At the end of these conversations, I ask kind of a big open-ended question to capture, is there some other gem or something else in your mind that we haven't talked about yet? you'd like to offer to the audience. Here it comes. Here's the question. Drum roll. What else, Michelle? Oh my gosh. What else? What else should we know? What else would you love to share with the audience? I have so much to say. Here's one thing, right? People are like, how'd you get to where you are today? And what's the biggest piece of sales advice you can give? All these like aha moments. Sure. And I think looking back at my history and the background that you explained earlier, there's one common theme. Hmm. Okay. It's not a person. It's not a company. I've had many different companies, sure. but it's choosing the right company to work for by finding the right founders to work for. Yeah. The founders yeah. of each of those companies that you listen to had instilled core values into each employee. They have incredible humility. Being humble is really hard to do when you are running a multi-million and billion dollar company. Uh-huh. All of my companies that I've worked for have humility. And then the company's mission and vision statement was like, not only realistic, but also being more than profitable. So like Toast Mission, as an example, it's we empower the restaurant community to delight guests and do what they do or do what they love and thrive. We help them do that. And it's not this money grabber by the, at the end of the day. I believe in it and it's realistic. Uh-huh. But the humility piece, I think, is really something that I've taken. It's that one team mentality across all companies, not just Toast that I work for, even in the restaurant world. Yeah, that's a gem for people listening. You don't even have to be working for a company that's in startup mode. Maybe they're still in growth mode, but the founders are actively involved. Find the right founders 
And there's another part of your answer that talks about balance. Here we are back to balance again. Before it was balancing the need to kind of slow down versus to move fast. It's, you know, there are a lot of founders who are not all that humble or don't demonstrate humility as they lead others. It's kind of the opposite. And so much of, sure. look, I'm a small business owner. I started my company from scratch. I understand the ego that's required to do that. So I'm like, I'm going to do something nobody else is doing, right? These founders are, they're building $10, $100 million plus billion dollar businesses. We can assume there's a healthy ego there behind. And yet what you're saying is look for the ones who have enough humility to be effective leaders of an organization that's growing and going through all of these kind of different iterations. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've worked for companies that where they know my husband's names and my kids' names, and I've worked for companies where they know that I am married, maybe, yeah. and maybe have some kids. But either way, um, they are incredibly approachable and humble in how successful they are. Awesome. And it sounds like they make the effort to really understand you and what you're trying to achieve and why the work and the money and why all that matters, right? Which is something that you said you do, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, that's why the link between my success are is the true founders of each of the companies that I've worked for. Yeah. Not necessarily the company, right? right. Uh, the company, of course, is the result, but the founders themselves are incredible. So I'm very lucky. Very cool. Very cool. And nice of you to acknowledge them. Right? So look, Michelle, time flies, right? This has been an, a fantastic conversation. And in a moment, I'm going to try to summarize a few of the kind of the big ideas for the people listening and say, look, we there are some three or four things that you really need to be thinking about now as you go back to your job as a sales leader. Think about what Michelle said about X. So I'm going to do that here in a moment. Before I do that, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to spend this 25 or so minutes with us. You're an awesome guest. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. You know, when I think about that conversation with Michelle Carney, there are a few themes that emerged here, and I want you to think about how they apply to your work as a sales leader and what lessons can you take away from what she shared. Certainly development was a theme. You know, one of the big lessons Michelle said she's learned throughout her career is that she's got to, she said, I've got to lean into my strengths and, and also be willing to work on uh, those things, right? To those things that are not only strengths, but could be a development opportunity, which lines up with the kind of orientation that I find in winning sales leaders. Like they're very conscious of what their strengths are. In Michelle's case, she said it's, you know, making connections, acting as the glue, keeping a team together, motivating them. Those are all strengths of hers. But she's also keenly aware of what's that one thing I could be working on that's going to make a big impact. Another thing that she said was in the course of her development as a leader, she's had to learn when to be a sales manager, you know, dealing with the details of a team's pipeline and opportunities and meetings versus being a business leader, knowing what is that one really critical, strategically important goal or initiative for the business. And that those are not the same thing, right? That, that you're in kind of a different mode when you're dealing with the tactics of a team versus when you're dealing with issues that are strategically important for a business. Another way of looking at this would be kind of having a, going back and forth between a kind of a macro view of the business versus a more micro down in the weeds into the details view of what's going on with your team. I've lived that myself, so I, I very much understand what, what Michelle's referring to there. 
One of the things that she said really that she enjoys most that motivates her is Michelle said she's driven by her impact and her ability to develop others. We've heard that before, haven't we, right? The best leaders take motivation, enjoy most the part of their role that is focused on developing others. Why is that, right? Why, why is that such a consistent theme when we talk to great leaders about what they enjoy most, right? It's not, it's not necessarily the money. It's not necessarily being first. It's seeing other people succeed and watching them develop. You know, Michelle's also had some experience working for kind of early uh, growing companies and worked directly for some founders. She offered some advice here if you're thinking about maybe you're working for a company right now where the founders are still actively involved or you're considering getting involved in an organization that's either a startup or kind of emerging growth company. She said, find the right founders. I agree, right? I've kind of dealt with the flip side of that in a few places. But one of the things she called out, a key quality of the founders that she really has enjoyed working with the most was humility. You know, humility is also really a critical characteristic, a critical virtue that great sales leaders demonstrate. So interesting to hear Michelle talking about that from the perspective of a sales leader who's working for founders. In the Divine Comedy of Sales book, I talk about the virtue of humility and the impact it has on a team. Well, it sounds like it has exactly the same impact on an executive leadership team as it does on a sales team. One other point that Michelle made, which resonated a lot, and it's I've used very similar words here. She, really, she was talking about the difference between moving fast or sprinting and slowing down enough to make progress, slowing down to speed up was what we talked about. So it's, it's so funny when I have conversations with leaders who've been successful, different walks of life. Michelle and I went to the same university, but really so different in terms of our backgrounds, where we've sold, but we've both concluded it's really important to slow down sometimes in order to speed to the outcome. Think about that in application to your role as a sales leader. So I want to thank Michelle Carney once again. She was a terrific guest, a lot of fun to have the conversation with today. In our next episode, we are going to talk to a seasoned leader with four decades of leadership experience. You're going to love the conversation with him. Uh, he's got an awful lot of leadership and selling wisdom to offer. So I think you'll really enjoy that next conversation. Until then, this is Matt McDarby, author and host of The Divine Comedy of Sales. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye for now.